Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. This is the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast Zoom episode where we're going to be looking at the best Essendon players for the 2000s. With me is, or my name is Grant, with me is Scotty. Hello, everyone. Yes, it's, uh, we're back again. We've finished the 80s, 90s, and now we're doing the next decade. I don't know what officially what they're called, or the noughties or whatever, but uh, it's 2000 to 2010. Uh, we have an amazing uh, lineup just uh, as usual. So Rowan Conley joins us again. How are you, Rowan? Good evening. Very well, thanks. Uh, yeah, looking forward to my third uh, decade of discussion. I'm a bit pissed off you couldn't do the 70s as well, but... Uh, <laughs> It <laughs> might have been a more limited conversation, but no, look, looking forward to it. We can always go backwards. Yeah, yeah well, you know, 70s, were, 70s weren't a great era, so happy to skip over them. To it was honest. for Star Wars fans, but that's about it. <laughs> uh, so, and look, we have an amazing guest. Uh, Scotty Lucas has joined the show. How are you, Scotty? Good, Scotty, uh, and glad to be on. <laughs> and if I'm talking, as I said, if I'm talking about myself tonight, you're not getting me back ever again. <laughs> well, we did have controversial uh, controversy last time because Grant picked uh, Gary O'Donnell at number 11. So, uh, and he was officially booted from the next show, and that's very serious. Gee, you glad you made him there too. <laughs> I was dropped in the reserves um, for the yeah. second week. <laughs> so, look... Uh, Again, we want to discuss a decade. It's a, it's a very interesting decade. Even just want to talk a couple of minutes about this decade. It's, it's a decade that starts off with obviously probably one of the most significant years in football where your side's almost gone undefeated. They've won 24 out of 25, won the grand final easily, uh, won, a, won a final against North Melbourne by almost 120 points. It was a complete domination. Uh, 2001, you've, you've got to a, a grand final where just sheer probably... Uh, Bad luck on injuries um, probably costed a, a second grand final as a fan. Anyway, you, you've got the likes of McCurry and Hurd and, and a lot of injuries. And then from that point onwards, uh, after some, uh, I guess, unfortunate trading, uh, salary cap, uh, you've, you saw a club that probably went into, as far as a ladder position, and into a bit of a decline and a, and a rebuild. So it's an interesting decade to talk about. And I, I kind of wanted to get your... Uh, initial thoughts, Scotty and, and Rowan, first about the decade as a whole, as how you saw it as a player and, and as a journalist. I'll start with you, uh, Rowan. Uh, yeah, well, I, I tend to refer to this as the Peter Jackson stuffed it up decade, to be perfectly <laughs> honest, because it, it was a great era that should have lasted a lot longer. And uh, look, I mean, that's a bit unfair to Peter. He, he Over the course of his career, he was a great CEO for Essendon, but that was a you know, in the history of Essendon, that will loom as a monumental disaster. The fact that they, in the, in the space of two seasons, had to offload first Damien Hardwick and then Carousella, Blumfield and Heffernan. And it really expedited the decline. I think there, there was a difficult period there where Essendon clearly wasn't as good as they had been, but was still good enough to sort of be in contention, getting to that second week of the finals. And it's always a difficult position to be in because you think, well, you know, maybe we're close enough to have a crack if, if the cards fall our way. But if they don't, what it means in hindsight is you probably hang on too long. And then I think you've got Sheeds, who has conceded this himself, probably hung around too long and probably, to be honest, coached for his own skin a bit. And uh, there were some you know, pretty ordinary trades engineered, which were very short term. And so the development sort of fell away a bit. And it, it all 
sort of conspired to drag things down. And, and uh, unfortunately, you know, they, a side that went from being runner-up to uh, virtually a wooden spooner in the space of, what, four or five seasons? So, um, and, you know, look, there, there were moments there, weren't there? I mean, we made the finals in 2009 with a new coach, and, but it was pretty hard going. And if, if you just said, put it this way, if you'd said at the end of 2000, this side will within five years finish, you know, second last on the ladder or whatever it was, you, you would have been laughed out of the out of the room. So, yeah. you know, it was a it was a decline that should have been managed a lot lot better than it was. But you know, it's always easy to be wise in hindsight. Well, what what was interesting I... with the with the calorie, salary cap thing too, in that uh, the, from what I've heard <clears> is, and we're led to believe that the salary cap was going to increase, and so they uh, set contracts accordingly. And then, what do you do when they it doesn't come through? Now you've got a yeah, well, you, had, you, you also had, you know, like sort of longer term contracts, didn't you? Like Mark McCurry on the five-year deal, yeah. that sort of stuff. That came back to bite them. I mean, I don't know. How do you see it, Scotty Lucas? Yeah, look, um, look, the disappointing part from a player because, and there's an element of jealousy when you see a Hawthorne team win four and Geelong win three, Brisbane win three also, is that uh, we finished on top of the ladder three years in a row and have one flag to show for it. And the Brisbane Lions, it just shows that September, for obvious, is the month, bring it all together, didn't finish on top in any of those years. So that's the bit that grates with me. You're right, the decline um, was quite quick. Uh, it's not something I'm proud of that I'm one of uh, 21 other, 22 players that played in the last winning final. I'm not proud because it's mm. 16 years ago. Uh, and that's not where you yeah. want to be as a football club. And Rowan, to your point, I think through that period, it, it wasn't a consistent approach to, you know, there were some experienced players brought in and then there were some draft picks and it just, we we're always trying, I think, to top up when we needed everything to go our way to be any chance of success. A more pragmatic view would have been that, hey, this team's probably not got another premiership in it. How do we build again? Yeah. Which is sort which of... Is which is a great discussion because clubs can be rebuilding forever, can't they? Yeah. And there's clubs that have started the process again and again and again and never get there. So it's hard to be critical of the approach in order that you're making the finals, looking to top up and see if you can go higher. I think you also need to consider what's around you at the time and what teams are emerging. Mm. And through that period, there were good teams emerging and around us that seemed to have our measure. I, I think, um, yeah, this management's definitely got better, hasn't it? And you look at uh, Sydney, probably the earliest example of it. Hawthorne did it really well. Geelong have done it well in that they've been able to significantly rebuild a list while giving themselves a, a genuine chance of still winning a flag. And, um, I, I'm not sure list management even then was nearly as good as it is now. And plus, you know, look, I, I know Sheeds is an icon, but I mean, he has said himself that in his last few years there, he wasn't necessarily right on the ball. And I think there's an element of shoring up his own position in some of the recruiting decisions that were taken. I must admit, Rowan, I, I had a look at uh, just even just how we drafted. <clears throat> um, I just thought I'll have a look just to see if there's any correlation between that 2003 to 2010. And so I went back to the 99, 2000, 2001, 2002 sort of draft, just to have what, just what success rate we had. And it does paint a pretty bleak picture. Like in 99, only one out of the eight we drafted played more than 50 games, which is David Hill. 
2000, only one out of eight again, which is... What was, what, what was the year of, uh, what's his name? James Davies, was it? Yeah, that's... Mm, um, that's 2000. It's yeah. 2000. Yeah, yeah so, so Peveril was the only success story out of 2000. 2001, again, one out of eight, uh, which is Andrew Welsh, played more than 40 games. <clears throat> then 2002 was only slightly better, which was Joe Watson was the father-son and, and Winderlich. So we had kind of a four-year space where we just didn't have... And then when you're losing that Hardwick, Heffern and Blumfield, so we had guys exiting, but we had no backup uh, of probably, I don't know if the word's quality, but you, you just didn't, we just didn't have those players coming in that sort of were able to take over. And so it kind of, you ha- it's, which is pretty frustrating still because you still had the Lucas Lloyd Fletcher, uh, you know, kind of top end talent and, and hurt as well, obviously. So it, it just felt like that, 10 to 20 bracket um we never really sort of got right in in our drafting and we maybe tried to take some shortcuts in our top-ups but i don't want to go too long either so i we are here to do a bit of a countdown of the top 20 players um of that decade and look there obviously is some amazing players uh and look first off is a player that you would regard that could be in the top five as far as talent. And Scotty, hey Scotty, just before you do, just explain to the just explain <laughs> to the audience um, how we actually got to these numbers. Yeah, so it's what we did was all four of us um, all put our separate twenty lists, and they sent to myself, and then we did an aggregated uh, final list. So this is going to be a bit different from the the, the last shows. So it won't be each of us kind of separately, though we'll, we'll mention where we had them on that list. And we're just going to go through one play at a time. So this is an aggregated. So number 20 will be Dean Rioli. That's, that's after all four of us voting and the number of votes <coughs> collated for him to be number 20. So Dean Rioli, 83 games, 2000, 2006, 62 goals. Uh, probably that below part of average only 12 games per season due to injuries is probably a key factor when you're talking about Dean Rioli. But there's no doubt it, that he is one of the most talented players that I've seen put on an Essendon jumper. Uh, and probably, you know, it never reached his full potential. Uh, but when he was on song, uh, he was an absolute joy to watch. Uh, what do you think, Rowan? Yeah, no, it's spot on. I mean, it's a, it's a I wouldn't say a tragedy, but it's such a, a shame about those injuries, really. And, I always felt like the best footy he played was the first, um, you know, two seasons he played, really. Desperately unlucky, of course, not to be part of that 2000 premiership side when he broke the collarbone. Was that in the last home and away game? It was sort of on the eve of the finals, wasn't it? I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, obviously, desperate. I um, think he got, he got injured early in the year, then he yeah. rehabbed came back with, there is no question he would have played in the team. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then did it again. I think he might have even injured it in the reserves and then that was it for his year. Yeah. So, uh, and and then, of course, he did play in the subsequent grand final, which uh, which we lost. But uh, what I always noted about him, apart from that, um, you know, great vision and, and beautiful, silky skills, but for a guy of that uh, stature, you know, and it's such a chunky frame, he was such a graceful mover he just glided across the turf didn't he and it's sort of it, it always seemed unusual to look at by my observation a guy of that sort of really squat sort of frame being such a graceful mover 
but that just sort of gave you an, in, uh, an indicator, I think, of his natural football craft and his, his you know, natural sort of instinct for the game. Beautiful skills, you know, great footy brain, great around goals. Um, but the, you're right, the key figure there is the average of 12 games per season. So we just never, we never saw uh, enough of him for any extended length of time. And that, it's not just the injuries, it's when you play that few games per year, it's so hard to get continuity and get into a consistent vein of form. So absolutely no question that had he played more footy, he would have been a top yeah. player for a lot longer. And can, look, can I just, I forgot to mention, can I just say that the, the uh, slides that you're looking at, the, the stats are just for this decade. So when we say 83 games, that's not for Essendon as a whole career. That's just for this decade, what they, what they put out for this decade. So just to, <clears> so <throat> the audience understands that. So and what so, and for Essendon, if they're in a different club. I'll, yes. um, I'll handball it to Neil, but just uh, so, uh, so we get in the habit of this. I, so I had Rioli personally at number 19, mm. so very close to what I, I had. I had 19 now. too. Yeah. Yep. Neil. I, I had him 19 as well. That must have been Scott didn't have him in the sides, I'd say. But yeah, for, for what, what all of you have said is very, very accurate. I, um, he was actually also deceptively fast, I thought, for, for someone of, of quite, a, quite a big build. Um, uh, what I really loved about him, as much as anything else, was he was a fantastic one-on-one mark. If it was if it was uh, if it was kicked to to him and against another player, even a player of quite size, he had a great little uh, deft move of the hips that you could just knock them out of the way and and take a mark. And he just beautiful skills too, um, off both the right and left foot. Um, and I think you summed up really well just a player that sees to glide across the surface. He was uh, one of my favourite players to watch. Uh, just talking about the continuity of games too, I had a look and he. Never played more than 18 games in a season. Um, uh, 17 in 2001, 15 in 2002, 18 in 2003, 13 and 11. Um, so, yeah, it's just a real pity we didn't see him to uh, really continue on his career and see what he could have done as he matured as a player. It would have, uh, could have really been something special from, from what he showed. So, yeah. Anyway, how did you go, Scott? Uh, Grant, sorry. Or me even, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember uh, Kevin said, uh, Kevin Sheedy being asked who were the most sort of talented players that you've coached. And the first words out of his mouth was Dean Rioli. Um, and again, I think you're 100% right. Whenever you say the man's name, you think a skillful player. Um, it's, uh, I do, I remember him high half forward, just having a lot of time. Again, he's one of those, one of those guys that just, you, you look up and he's got time probably because he's put in a hell of a hard effort to get there, but he's got that time and he's got the left boot. He's got the right boot. I remember him kicking it inside 50 a lot and hitting targets. So again, you're right. Often injured, didn't see the best of the bloke, but geez, he could play. Scotty. What do you reckon, Scotty? Yeah, look, you're spot on, uh, all of you. No doubt he would have finished significantly higher if he, he didn't have the injuries he's had. Uh, Definitely top two or three most talented players I played with. He was the best player to lead to because he was such a good kick. He used to mm. weight the ball so well. He, his kick told you where to lead. Uh, a fantastic player, but injury. And also, I think you alluded to his build. Um, he probably was never fully AFL match fit, um, which I think is a shame because if he was, we would have seen so much more from him. And he would have had an incredible career at the Essendon Football Club. But uh, yeah, a great teammate a, to play with. 
he had a bit of a penchant for the turtle soup, didn't he, when he went home? Plenty of turtle meat, I think, for Dean when he the went back up meat. north. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. So was it was it actually was it the injuries that that sort of restricted his ability to get a run on with his fitness, or was he just not super keen on doing laps? <laughs> uh, well, I certainly don't think he was desperately keen on doing laps, but I think if he had a very good run with injury, it would have enabled, to Rowan's point earlier, that continuity of yeah. week in week out leads. It's impossible if you're not training week in, week out to get to max fitness. Yeah. But he would get a run on for a month or five weeks and get a, a soft tissue injury, which would cost him three or four, and then he, he'd have to start training again. And also, there are guys that are naturally fit, come back quickly, whereas uh, Cyril, as we called him, needed that bit more work and weeks to get back to match fitness. But mm-hmm. even when he played off little preparation, he would always contribute significantly to the team. Just not at the level that we knew Dean could if fully fit. Yeah. Interesting that you called him Cyril. I, I always thought that that's what you probably would have called David Myers. Uh, oh, because of the, because of the draft The, okay. the draft pick. No, I'm right here. That, that hasn't still got you upset, <laughs> does it, Rowan? Ah, uh, no. Chief, I, love, I, I, I love David Myers, yeah. but, uh, you know, there's always the what-ifs about that one, isn't there? Oh, well, what number did Cyril go? Did he go at nine or ten? No, nah, I think it was six. Was it, was yeah, because we had David at seven. Hang no, on, no, I thought, Cyril I thought went this went about, was, this I is your brain butter, isn't Scotty? Yeah, well, so my point to you, Rowan, in the many discussions we've had, is when you say <laughs> that, you're very critical of Essendon. And I would say, what about every other club that had a pick before Cyril that didn't pick him? No, fair point. Yeah, fair point. Because I fact, think Myers uh, was about six and Cyril's about 11, I thought. Yeah, I, I thought, think I thought Cyril was about 11. Yeah. 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 Well, so 10 talking, clubs I'm, got it wrong. I'm looking it up. <laughs> keep going. On a, on a slightly different subject, Scotty, who's got the bigger left foot, you or David Myers? Oh, I'm disappointed on. you're asking that question. Yeah. <laughs> and to think, to think your title has Scott Lucas number one fan on it, and then well, that overall, overall number one fan. No, no my Mizey was a very, very good long left foot kick. Indeed. So let's let's go to uh, number nineteen. It's a player that was actually on the uh, the nineties list and relatively relatively high. Uh, it is Blake Carousella. now. Probably people are going screaming through going, Blake's a gun. But obviously, if you look at the stats, you can see he only went 2000, 2002. So you always got to factor in why we're selecting him at, at, at as low as 19 because his actual input to the decade was quite limited. But still, he averaged 20 disposals per game, 27 goals per year. Obviously, a class act, premiership player. Uh, we, we uh, like I said, we spoke about in the last decade. Uh, probably a little bit Dimbiolo, like a joy to watch. Could think through a situation really well, uh, and that's what's held him in good stead, probably even today, uh, about how he sees the game. So I always felt with Blake Carousella that the right decision was going to be made on a footy field, uh, and he never seemed to panic. He had this painfully calm presence around him with the football. Um, no matter if it was manic or anything, he, he would have this element of just calm around him and, and how he distributed the footy uh, showed, uh, I guess, what a, an immense talent he was. Uh, Rowan. Yeah, no, very, uh, very quickly too, guys, just to clear up that last point. So Myers went at six, Cyril went at 12, but the following players were all drafted ahead of Cyril Rioli. Chris Marston, Cale Morton, Jared Grant, David Myers... 
Reese Palmer, Lockie Henderson, and Patrick Vespremi, all drafted ahead of Cyril Rioli. Wow. Well, I would say Myers was a good pick then, based on yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely, he was. Yeah. Well, it's better than Vez Premi. Um, <laughs> and look, just just quickly, I had Carousella at twenty on my original list. Okay, I had uh, I had Carousella at seventeen. Um, so you're only talking about uh, what three seasons, aren't you? Two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two. But they were three pretty good seasons. Now I went through every player on this list and worked out how many top three finishes and how many top 10 best and fairest finishes, sorry. So yeah. Cara, Cara played the three seasons and of those three, he finished top 10 in the BNF twice and one of those seasons he was uh, top three. So his strike rate was pretty good. Um, yeah, unfortunately, well, fortunately for him, ended up going to Brisbane, of course, and playing in another flag. But he, um, his frame, I guess, the way the game sort of went, conspired against him too because he was so lightly framed wasn't he and he just he just got belted in the next week all the time and his courage didn't help on that score and ended up basically what he ended up he got KO'd really badly for Collingwood and then was basically told he risked serious injury wasn't yeah, he some concussions yeah yes so um look wonderful player um incredibly smart courageous massive massive part of that 2000 premiership side and in the um Grand final, I think. Uh, I was trying to remember the Norm Smith voting, but he might have been Essendon's sort of second or third best in that game. He was, oh, Blumfield was, he was up there though. Um, yeah, a lovely player to watch. And over the course of the decade, wouldn't be too many more uh, players to play for Essendon in that decade with his level of skill and coolness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I looked at the stats, and even though he only played the three seasons for Essendon in the uh, in the two thousands, they were possibly his best three seasons. He uh, he went from a uh, an average of uh, around about fifteen disposals a game up to the twenties uh, for each of those seasons, as well as kicking um, thirty five, <clears> twenty five, and twenty two goals, which was uh, pretty well the highest throughout his career. So even though it was only just the three seasons, his impact. And I also uh, did put a lot of more emphasis on players that uh, did contribute to the grand final too in 2000, which was the, uh, you know, possibly our best, uh, well, our best season ever and one of the best teams that we've ever had. Um, everything you've said, great, courageous player. Um, Love to kick a goal, like our, uh, our friend over here, Scotty, mm -hmm. and um, was a fantastic set shot. He had that really unusual um, ball uh, position that he used to hold it and didn't kick it too hard, but was uh, very, very reliable, hardly ever missed. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. And as you say, just a great, courageous player. Um, really added to the 2000 side. So many players could contribute to kick a goal, and he was one of them along with them. Ones like Blumfield, of course, the stars like Lucas and Boyd. Um, and, uh, yeah, but Hurd, of course. But great player. Lovely to watch, you know. Uh, Grant, what were yeah. your thoughts? Oh, I, had no, I had him at 17 along with you too, by the way. Uh, Grant? Yeah, look, um, Blake, again, it's, it's all been said about Blake. He wasn't exactly a massive unit. He's not exactly... Um, he's not going to scare you out of a possession of the ball. So he had to think his way through it, I would assume. Um, he, he's, a very, he's a very intelligent guy. Richmond didn't give him up um, uh, easily, I wouldn't have thought, to come over to the Bombers. So he just, he's, he's one of those players in the, with the baby Bombers and stuff that is just, without him, 
it would have it just wouldn't seem right to not have him in that side. And and though, like you said, those couple of years that he's played um, were were excellent for the club. And um, I, I love that a guy like that. I mean, you get your monsters, you get your big tall centre half forwards with massive left boots. Um, but you can also the AFL can also produce um, guys like Blake Carousella who. And, and in a previous uh, show, like Denim and those guys who aren't exactly monsters, they're not super-duper-looking six-pack abs kind of guys, but they can really make an influence because they can think their way through things and they're as courageous as hell. So uh, I love that guy to death. Scotty, I'll go to you last. Well, what's interesting to note, fantastic player to play with. Uh, you've all summed it up really well. Smart, would find space when there was no space. Always made, always made good decisions. But to average 20 disposals a game, now, back then, the disposal rate was significantly lower. I would say that for a half forward predominantly, he's a high 20s in today's footy. He's averaging yeah. high 20s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, goal a game, those players are gold. So he was just a fantastic player to play with. And he was, as you also said earlier, guys, such a big loss at the end of O2 yeah. when we lost him, Heffernan mm-hmm. and Blumfield. Would Scotty, you think? Would you think, Scotty, that he was one of the earlier um, high half forwards in that he, he could just venture further up the field? That capacity to get out in the yeah. wing, and uh, you know, get the wingmen to go elsewhere, and he'd sort of become the de facto wingman. But yeah, well, it's now it's almost the fifth and sixth role, isn't it? Which yeah. they call like those two half forwards play high, yeah. and they almost play as extra mids. Well, Mercury was another one like that so we had a lot of flexibility in our team so and Blumfield as well Heffernan not so much a goal kicker but a run with Mm. but all of those other boys were significant goal kickers that could play big minutes through the middle of the ground Scotty do now that um, Carousel is a pretty accomplished assistant coach did you see Mm. that as a player when you were playing about his IQ side of the game Uh, absolutely so no doubt he was an incredible incredibly smart player uh, and always contributed in meetings with the way that he saw the game. Like there was a drill. We had the carousel, drill at training, which was about okay. getting to the working from one side of ground to the other on reading the play in one side, out the other. And he always would be that player that was free on the outside. So he always read it extremely well. The interesting one is Damien Hardwick. If there was a guy if talking about guys, you think you're going to coach. If there was a guy less <laughs> less likely to coach than <laughs> really? Damien Hardwick, I don't know that person. Yeah. <laughs> well, Gary O'Donnell actually uh, on the previous show mentioned yeah. his training. His training oh, everything, was like the warm up was something that you turn the heater up high in the car <laughs> on the way to training. That was a warm up. Hey, just um, sorry to make it serious again, but just I'm really fascinated that drill you described in in one side out the other. Can you just explain to us how that drill actually worked? Well, you would just, it was a diet from one wing to, you'd run a diagonal pattern. You wouldn't yeah. once run straight across. You'd try and run a diagonal pattern to lose any players in the flow. And we would come out the other side and more often than not, Carousella would be all by himself, having yeah. read the play and timed it perfectly. Yeah, it's the timing as much as anything. Yeah, yeah isn't timing. It? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing. If you get there too early, and it's the same with footy today, if you get there too early, you, you give the opposition plenty of time to scan the ground and man you up. But if, yeah. if you arrive at the perfect time, well, you don't give them that chance to react. Yeah. So, so you're saying that he was a large inputter to, to that training drill? Well, the drill was based on his running patterns from games. 
And then right. we started, a couple of the coaches picked up how well he did it, that we developed yeah. a drill on the back of it almost. All right. Yeah, because he was amazing finding space. So. Yeah. That's I mean, right. Was... And, we, and we would hang it on him and say he never had a man and that and almost think that he was, he, you know, in the old vernacular, he'd cheat or he's down, downhill skier. He just read it, but it wasn't the case. And we watched enough vision to know he just read it better than most yeah. other players, particularly uh, Scotty, always his direct opponent. I've got to ask you, Scotty, was there a Lucas drill where everyone just went banged from this? In this <laughs> <world>? Yes. <laughs> There was no drill, but if there was, there wouldn't have been any handball in it, Rowan. <laughs> <laughs> All right for kicks. Yeah, yeah exactly. Waste of time. <laughs> well, let's let's go to number 18. Uh, and it's another small forward, which is interesting, but this small forward didn't start to 2005. Uh, and we are talking about the very, very clever Angus Monfries. Gus. So he's actually he was actually my number eighteen as well originally. So uh, it matches my uh, my initial score. So uh, it started two thousand five, ended in two thousand twelve. Played hundred games this decade, one hundred and seventeen goals. This doesn't say much for two thousand and ten, but he was the leading goal kicker for the club uh, with with twenty four uh, in two thousand and ten. Uh, but look. Uh, he seemed like a very sneaky, crafty, cheeky player. I always got that feeling he was a great teammate. Uh, just from afar as a fan, I, I felt like he would have been a lot of fun. And, and when he did leave, I, I, I always felt like players contacted him quite a lot and there was a lot of love there. Uh, so he seemed like quite a good team man, uh, a guy you'd want to just hang around Saturday night with a pub with or to drink with. Uh, but in his own right, a very skillful, clever player, and and one I thought we actually sorely missed when he when he did leave the club. I'll, I'll go to you, Ron. Yeah, no, good good summation. I, I actually did have him at number eighteen as well. Um, look, I'll I'll be honest. I I was pretty hard on him. He he was sort of one of my personal whipping boys because I I just felt that often he should have been better than he actually was. Like, I, I felt often you'd see his best attributes and you'd think, you know, like he just, his kicking for goals should have been a bit more accurate. He should have hung on to a few more marks. He should have been a little bit better at ground level. I'd say this, and I'll be interested in your take, Scotty, when we get around to you, but, like, I always felt like he was trying to play as almost that, hit up forward, almost a third tallish role, but he didn't have the size or the frame to pull it off. So he'd end up being in too many marking contests and not grabbing a large enough percentage of them. I reckon for his dimension, his dimensions, he probably should have been more of a, a ground level forward than he was. I think he quite, you know, he liked getting on the lead, liked taking him in the air, but I'm not sure he had the stature to be able to do it as much as he liked. And I think he tried to play a different role from perhaps what he was best suited to playing. I also reckon he, he became a better player still at Port Adelaide. I think I, I sort of felt like they almost saw the best of him, to be honest. But all that said, you know, he certainly played his role six seasons in the decade. He finished top 10 in the BNF in uh, three of them. So, you know, he's, he's 50% strike rate in terms of really good seasons. Um, and... Sadly, you know, given the relative lack of success in the decade, that definitely puts him in the top 20 players. So, yeah, number 18 for me. Neil? Yeah, I, um, I thought a little bit differently 
myself, Rowan. I thought he actually got possibly the, the best out of his uh, abilities. Um, he did seem to be a, a leading target, but I thought that was actually one of his strengths out in the lead. And he was a little bit similar to Lloyd. I thought you know, he could take a really strong mark out in front of his body. And I thought that was one of his strengths. I didn't think he was, he was still clever around goals. Um, it appeared to me, and this is just as an average Joe watching from the sidelines, that he actually worked really hard and he, he possibly got just about the best out of his game that he could. Um, I actually had him even a little bit higher. I had him at number 16. Um, what he did, he used to average around 300 disposals a game a, a, a year. <laughs> wow. That's impressive. <laughs> good. That's a good game. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> yes. um, 300 disposals uh, a year at, at an average of about 16. And um, he was constantly uh, uh, had his share of goals from a uh, high of 31 to a uh, uh, low of about 16, but in the, always in the mid-20s. And at a time where, as you say, because of our drafting, we didn't have a lot of high-quality uh, draft sticks and we really often did struggle on the forward line. I thought he was one player that we could often be dependent upon to, to contribute. And one of the great things about him was he always seemed to produce his best against Carlton, which is, of course, a, always a fantastic thing to rub yes. their nose in it too. So, <laughs> uh, Grant, what were your thoughts? Um, I, I'm, again, I'm very much the same as everybody else. I liked um, Gus because I, I think... I'm a bit with you, Neil. I think we saw a lot of Gus and a lot of his talent. And um, I love the fact that he could take a grab. Um, and he was put the ball on the ground and he'd, he'd go one way, he'd go another. But I think, I wonder if we had a lot of good names playing when Gus was there as well. And we had um, some, some big names taking big marks and big goals and that sort of stuff. I just wonder whether or not if Gus was playing today and had that same kind of talent, would he be more appreciated now than he was back then? Because for a guy like that to be able to take some half-decent grabs, and I okay, appreciate what you're saying, Rowan, he might not have been able to take them all, but to be able to take some grabs um, above his head when he wasn't the biggest bloke in the world and to kick his fair amount of goals, I reckon they're, they're pretty, they're not rare to get, but when you get one like that who can, who is also courageous and, and, uh, and 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 did his part for the club. I think, I think he's a. I don't know. Maybe even just a smidge underrated. Um, so, his, his gas so I think. I was going to say the one thing I will say is uh, my, from memory, my my clear frustration, and this is I'm hoping my memory's correct, is is probably his set shots. Is I, I felt yeah. like he, yeah. he kicked yeah. he kicked was, he, he kicked to the yeah. right a lot uh, and uh, missed a lot of probably the 30, 40 metres out, I, I felt like it, probably uh, I can imagine, I can sort of think of a few crucial times where he, uh, maybe, maybe it was in his head, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but he, uh, he wasn't a guy I trusted it with a, with a set shot for goal, you know, so just for my, for my memory. Just before you pick it up, Scotty, I, I want to just play crotchety old bastard here to Grant, because... <laughs> I, I'm not sure he had that much competition in terms of quality forwards. I mean, he debuted in 05 when we had really started to bottom out. Was it 05 when we were playing off for the Bryce Gibbs Cup? Was, wasn't it? Yeah. 06. 06. sorry. But in, in his, what, uh, six seasons in the decade that he played, we only made finals once. I would argue, this is where I, I get a bit cranky, having been spoiled by previous success. I, I would think personally that a guy like Monfries, um, had he been around the scene in 2000, 2001, would have been 
right on the periphery of that team, if even picked at all. With Carousella and all those guys, yeah. I, I oh, they, he might, have, been, he might have even been a better player because there was less pressure on him. Yeah. Or possibly. Because he, he did get yeah, targeted could, by the opposition a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, I reckon the challenge for him, he's probably a victim of showing he was a medium forward. He came into the team because very few players come into the team if they're mids and play mid. I look at him and think he became a victim of what we didn't have after a couple of years when some key targets left or were injured and that he was he was really relied upon because they didn't have a lot of alternatives up forward. Yeah. For the sake of his own career, I think he would have would have complemented his career better if he played more through the middle of the ground. But he never got that opportunity because they go, well, we've got mids that can do as good a job, but those mids can't go forward and kick goals. So therefore, there was... Not a lot of rotations for him to get through the midfield, mm. build his numbers, etc. He was a victim of the fact that if you looked at how many players in the Essendon team <clears> could <throat> kick multiple goals in a game, he was one of only a couple. So therefore, they, they basically played him there. And because he wasn't a huge frame, you're right, it's hard for those players to get goals. You'd be, you know, you've got to either mark well against a taller opponent or be an elite crummer. When there aren't a lot of crumbs and the opposition well, are mopping up, well, not I mean, an you, easy position to play for him. Yeah, your ideal sort of third tall is a guy like Jack Gunston, and like compare Gunston to Monfries. You know, he's that much taller. Yeah, you're quite right, Rowan. So therefore, he's got an opportunity to get separation, Gunston, and that. So that's why I think Gus was a fantastic goal kicker, but would have benefited from more time through the midfield. He could have been that. He could have averaged Carousel-like numbers if he could have got more time through the middle. Mm. Because if you look at the way that Cara played the 2000s with that space on the wings, do you guys ever see any space on the wings now? Mm. Nah. That, 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 the way that he played... Now, he would have adjusted, of course. But the way that he played back then isn't a way that you can play now because the ground's so compressed. So the opportunity to get off your man and get space, I think it's more difficult. So a run through the midfield where there is some freedom, would have helped Monfries in this day and age. Good analysis, Scotty. Very good analysis. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why we pay you the big bucks. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? Good. <laughs> yeah, it's in the mail, yeah. Scotty. It's in Rowan, the mail. Rowan's transferring the money now. Um, yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, uh, let's go to number 17. Uh, look, this guy is probably the, uh, the Steve Jobs of the playing group. Uh, so he's the, he's the rich man. Uh, so uh, doesn't he own half of Melbourne now? <laughs> so Andrew Welsh, Andrew Welsh being uh, number seventeen. Look, probably played. Uh, he's probably in the in the top echelon of actual games played in this decade with one hundred and fifty six. Uh, I don't know why I put thirty goals. It didn't really matter because <laughs> he didn't really play in a position to kick goals. But uh, what do I think of Andrew Welsh? Andrew Welsh is kind of like you know what you're going to get kind of player. Like a last. Uh, when I spoke about the 90s, I talked about David Grenvold, uh, who was in my kind of in a similar spot, 17 or 18. And I put him in because I knew what I was going to get. I was going to get a hard, competitive person every week. And this is kind of where I put the Andrew Welsh tag on. I, I knew what I was going to get. I was going to get a fiery, uh, dis I don't know if the word discipline, but a fiery competitor uh, that was going to give me his all every week. Um, and the kind of the, the photo in some ways sums, kind of sums him up. So uh, a really um, uh, a fairly dependable backline player. Look, didn't 
I won't say he's kind of an elite, set the world on fire, but he, he is that kind of mongrel, you know what you're going to get. And, and every, every team needs him. They need the Solomons, they need the Welshers. Um, and they do add much value to your, your team because you do have some sort of um, fear factor, at least going to the opposition. And um, I actually think of Andrew Welsh in that line of the sand game with Hawthorne, <laughs> uh, giving a few uh, left and rights. But uh, I'll go to you, Ron. What, what were your thoughts on Welshie? Um, gee, you've set a, a low bar on um, uh, that photo being symbolic of him. All he's done is taken his mouth guard out and yelled at someone for a drink of water or something. You know? <laughs> look, don't, um, make me, don't make me come over there. No, look, uh, yeah, I, I rated him. I, I thought particularly, I think we'd all agree, it, it wasn't a, um, a decade where Essendon was over-blessed over with tough hard out of players. I mean, we, you know, we lost a lot of that with the retirement of, of Wallace, Hardwick going to Port Adelaide. You know, we lost a lot of that grunt. And so the likes, the likes of Welsh became a lot more important in that regard. And then, you know, even say McPhee when he came into the side, you know. Um, and that made his contribution pretty important. Yeah, look, I, I think you summed him up pretty well. Um, I think he... Yeah, I think he sort of got the best out of himself. He, he was pretty disciplined. He could mix it physically with most guys on the ground. Um, the line in the sand game. Incidentally, how bloody... I said this to the Hawthorne guys the other week when I was doing their podcast. How massively overrated is the significance of the bloody line in the sand game? For <laughs> God's sake. We won it by about 500 points. We only kicked the next nine goals after oh, the fight. Yeah, I'm so sick of hearing about it. Okay, so Cam- Campbell Brown knocks out Jason Winderwick after he's already half concussed heading to the bench. Yeah, good one, Campbell. Um, but uh, the, sorry, that was a cheap shot. Um, uh, you, no, you, you or Campbell Brown? Oh, well, yeah, he, he's we've been good sparring partners uh, verbally over the years, so I'll give him another one. Um, no, look, I, I think he played his role and I think he, he played it pretty well. Now, he didn't necessarily have a very strong body, but he, he certainly didn't lack for attitude. Um, nine seasons across the decade, finished in the top 10 in the BNF on uh, three occasions, according to me. Hang on, I've just temporarily lost him. Where is he? Uh, there he is. Yeah, three times the top 10 finish. 145 games, so in terms of most games played in the decade, he's in, he's in the top 10. Um, so that in itself sort of demands inclusion, I think. I, and I had him at uh, 16, so I had him one spot higher than we've got him collectively. Neil? Yep. yep. Well, I skewed the averages on uh, Welsh and what I've heard. I actually had him just outside of my top 20, and I think all you guys had him um, quite a bit higher. Um, I remember actually, I think it was his second, it's either his first or second game. I remember him seeing him uh, back into a pack on the uh, half forward flank of the MCG and do an incredibly courageous act. And that was one of the things I thought was the one of the hallmarks of his career was that he was also a very courageous player. He, uh, whenever it was his time to go, he he would go. Um, the uh, he was he was capable at everything. He was a fairly good mark. He was a pretty good kick. He actually had quite good numbers uh, throughout his career. Um, but I actually, the player that I had in front of him in the list was, um, was Barnard, who only played uh, four seasons in the 2000s. But I thought he had a uh, slightly bigger impact than him as, as a player here, uh, um, particularly in the 2000s, where he was that really hard, tough player that 
could come along and kick goals. So it was a bit of a, a toss-up, but I uh, I had Barnard uh, just in front of him, so he just was out of mind. But he was still a great servant for the club through a uh, through a not a great period in our history, as we said. So that's my thoughts, uh, Grant. Andrew Welsh, I think, is again like what everybody said. I think he's he's not exactly uh, he wasn't exactly a superstar of a of a footballer. 146 games is is very uh, with the longevity throughout the. Um, throughout his career at Essendon, I think for those 146 games, it's got to be respected. Um, and he was he was a defender every day of the week. He was very reliable um, from uh, from what I remember. And I think again, those kind of players where he played in the back line, and I wonder if the the club just sort of went, oh, well, Andrew's just going to do his job, and um, and we won't have to worry about him um, throughout the game. He'll just be doing his job. So. I don't mean to undersell the man, but I guess it's just the there is a value I put, especially for defenders. And I think <laughs> I'm sitting here talking to Scott Lucas, but defenders uh, have an incredibly hard job in the Scotty AFL. Scotty was a defender. 2003, mate. 2003. BMF. Oh, no. no. Oh, no. Almost, almost, <laughs> almost all Australian at that position, as I'm told. Not easy. Um, yeah, uh, so it's not easy. So I guess it's... Uh, when, when he does his job and he does his job well, I think it's, a, it's often a case that you go, yeah, 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 that, it just doesn't get much press. So um, I, really, I really valued him um, as, a, as, a footy, as a player for the club and especially because I think he just did his job. Um, he got fired up when he, required, when he needed to as a, as a backman um, and, uh, yeah, really, really good contributor to the club over those 146. Scotty. And a great leader, great teammate. You, you summed it up well, boys. Always put his body on the line uh, and led from the front. And it was a very important contributor to the club over those years. I've heard, and, uh, I've uh, heard can, a whisper. Sorry, I, I, sorry guys. I've heard I, a whisper um, about after five, a uh, reasonable after five operator, um, Andrew Welsh. Had some good moves. Had some good moves. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. I, want to ask, uh, I want to ask what happened to his media career. Because he, like, what happened with that? He was sort of a... An aspiring media star, and then all of a sudden he's become a property developer, and it's like nearly half of Melbourne. Rowan, he's doing far too well out of the property to waste time on the media. Yeah, no, yeah. fair enough. Did, fair he, enough. did he? Did he at one point do a t-shirt business or something like that, or a clothes yeah, line? Well, I think he's just he Welsh. He was prepared to have a go at anything, at anything really, which yeah. just shows, and he worked hard at it, and uh, he's going extremely well. And good luck to him. Worked really hard on it. Yeah, well, but you're well, right. He, he had a crack. <laughs> let's let's keep moving uh, for the sake of time. Uh, look, number sixteen. I think, if if I'm corrected, Ryan may not even had this guy in, in his top twenties. But correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Rowan. But it is the great Smoking Joe Masidi. Smoking Joe. Uh, he obviously the the rest of us had him quite a bit lower to get him even to number sixteen. So uh, look, probably for me, his premiership year was still quite elite. He had. So averaging 25 disposals in a, in a premiership year, uh, still 96 games from 2000, mm. 2004. Uh, he, his numbers in the early 2000s are still very, very strong as a top quality midfielder. And so probably when I looked at the talent around uh, and I thought, no, this guy's still uh, just a better player and, and still probably had a better output than probably that mm. 15 to 20 range of the guys around him. So uh, I had him, I had him quite high uh, myself. Um, but Rowan, tell me your thought process on this. 
Um, well, I basically just that I expended all my smoke and Joe love last week in the '90s show. Um, now, Scotty, you and me across. Where'd you have him last week, Rowan? Jeez, uh, do you guys remember? I haven't got it handy. I, had I think him... you had about eight or something. It's like number eight, I think. I had oh, no. Nah, I think it was higher than that. I think it was five or six. I had him significantly higher than these three heathens, Scotty. Um, <laughs> oh, good because yeah, I'm looking at and I. Very low, number 16. That, if you looked at that 2,000 year in isolation, that's enough to have him a lot higher for me. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I no, understand the criteria, but fantastic player. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, look, in all honesty, I think that's what I've done. I've, I've marked him yeah, so yeah. high in the 90s that yep. for me, his post-2000 performances weren't sort of in the same ballpark. But I'm having a look at it now. I mean... Had a lot of injuries. I reckon he, yeah, he groin, missed a lot groin. of games. Yeah, he did groins, yeah. I think. So he had... Um, he's played five seasons in the in the 2000s, um, three of which was he finished top 10 in the BNF. Um, so, yeah, look, I could easily have had him in, I think. In fact, to be honest, in retrospect, I'm looking at, like, who I had number 20 in... Yeah, I think he's a much better player than the guy I've got at number 20. So I might have, I might have slipped up there. But um, I, look, I, these guys will tell you, Scotty, I, I love smoking Joe. Yeah. I loved him then and I still love him now. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, I, I think you had him the highest of all of us last week, actually. Yeah, no, I did. I remember when you I were did. really singing his praises. I, yeah. I had a look at the stats and his uh, 2000, 2001, 2002 were arguably his best three seasons. And particularly, as Scott said before, the... His 2000 season was a, was a fantastic year. Um, I think we uh, we discussed him quite a lot last week, as you said, but uh, um, one of the things that we were talking about last week was his, his uh, foot skills and his uh, uh, very much like in the Dean Rioli mode and that he was a caresser of the ball with, with his passes. It was very well weighted. And uh, really, he was one of the big driving forces of the, of the 2000 side, him along with the... Jason Johnson and of course all the all the big stars in the middle, but um, a great player. And I thought, uh, even though he didn't have a lot of seasons in the two thousands, the ones that he did were at a really high level. I actually had him at uh, number eleven, so I had him uh, quite a lot higher than that. And I think you had him pretty high too, did you, Scott? Uh, no, I had him at seventeen. Oh, okay. Just quickly to your point, Neil. I mean, it yep. says. This says it all about his uh, consistency of performance, doesn't it? You said he was one of the drivers of a 2000 side. Absolutely no question about that. No, I, would argue, I would argue he was one of the drivers of the 93 premiership <laughs> side. Well, despite, yeah. Despite the fact he had played, what, five games going into that season. I mean, well, that's, that how, was, that's how yeah. influential he was right from the start of his career. In, in, in statistics, his 93 season was nearly as good as his, uh, his in the years. He had... Uh, 24 and a half disposals in 93, which for, for a guy who only played two games in 92 was an incredible performance. Yeah. I must admit, Rowan, just a, guys. just a funny story, Rowan. I, uh, last Sunday, uh, I, I do a uh, big Facebook Essendon group, about 5,000 or so people. Um, and we had Gary O'Donnell and Jeremy City on just having a, a chat, just have a question back and forth. And so I was talking about the 90s sessions that we did and, and and so Joe's like, you know, where'd you have me? Where'd you have me? And so I I started to be nice and said, well, Rowan Rowan had you at seven, 
And so, you know, he's like, oh, I love Rowan. I love Rowan. And then he goes, where did he have Gary? <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> I said, well, he had him at number two. And he's like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> so it was, a, so it, was a, it was actually one of the funniest conversations. I, I, we, Gary asked him, Mercedes, like, how are you handling the isolation? And he just had his head, his head just down going, it's killing me. It's killing me. <laughs> yeah, he just needed a beer in a pub. But uh, yeah, it was a. Can I just can I just say very genuinely, those two blokes you just mentioned, along with Scotty, are like seriously two of the nicest guys I've met in my entire football media career. They are just wonderful people, both of them. Um, and that's where Essendon, quite seriously, that's where Essendon was blessed during that golden era that their best players were also usually their best people as well. Um, anyway, go on, Grant. Yeah, man, I, I, and along the same lines. Uh, Joe, we, Scotty and I, back in the early days of the podcast, we got um, Joe on the podcast. And again, it's it's a bit like you coming on tonight, Scotty. It's a, our little little podcast and stuff. But um, you couldn't have spoken to a nicer bloke who uh, spoke to us like he'd known us for 30 years. So um, consistency, I think what you said earlier, Rowan, about um, consistency from him for over a long period of time in a tough position, um, playing against um, good midfielders in that um, in that area in that era as well um, really puts Joe um, into the 90s absolutely um, and in these 2000s as well he deserve, definitely deserves to be on this list um, even maybe a little bit higher I'm sitting there a bit like you again Ryan I'm looking at my list going oh he probably could have been a bit higher than we're at him so um, great bloke and, and great player for the club one thing one thing about just before I go to you Scotty one thing I loved about Joe um, is that as a fan, he looked like he was a player that saw a a play develop two seconds before any other player. Uh, that's how I kind of felt like he thought through the game. Um, well, he had to because he was so bloody slow. That's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's he, he no, was. He, the... he read the he read the game like we talk about Carousella, but in a different yeah. way. Joey was always in the right position. Yeah, like if you look at his numbers. I think, uh, Neil, you said 24 and a half in 1993. Well, I keep harping on it. That's 35 in today's footy, mm. or certainly north of 30. And mm. I reckon in that first final in 2000 against North Melbourne, I think he had 40 and kicked four goals. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't he? So, wasn't and, he? And I could be... I'm, I apologise to the, if it's not Joe to the person that actually did win it, but I've got a feeling he might have been best in finals for the club in 2000. Yeah, it sounds right because he, he yeah. was very good in both the preliminary and he was. granny yeah. as well. I was just going to say, I was just visualising him then. What a beautiful kick of the footy he was. Mm. Uh, not just in terms of accuracy, but the the power of his kicking. Mm. Think about that goal. Uh, and again, going back to 93, to think about that On goal. On the boundary like, line? Yeah. Mm. I mean, it, it's a, a, that effectively sealed the match, you know, that ended wow. any chance Carlton had of winning. Oh. He's kicked it from outside 50 on the boundary line. Well, I was a Geelong supporter back then, so I yeah. watched that game as a neutral observer. And the two goals I remember are Joey's just on three-quarter time and yeah. Calthorpe's out of the yeah. middle. Which yeah. was just which was just before it. They were the, like yeah. the two yeah. last yeah, goals like, of that third quarter. For a young player like that, Joey, 50 out on the boundary line, to slot it like that just showed. And it was classic Joe. Didn't really care. It was just a, another game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scotty, you you um starting in in late nineties. How how were you? What were your thoughts 
when you're starting Essendon on Joe and, and, and did they become sort of reality as a, a player going through training and everything like that? Uh, yes. I'm, I'm thinking he had a bit of a party reputation, which he would, he oh, would yeah, admit. No, no, no. He was good at it. Um, <laughs> so the interesting thing was when I turned up, I was drafted in uh, October 94, went to the club a week later <laughs> and you're meeting guys such as Joe, of course, Gary O'Donnell, mm. but he was an old, but you met Joe, Kelthorpe, uh, Mercury, who were premiership players, yet only a cup two or three years older than you. So mm. there was that element of this is quite remarkable and, and how you fit in. And right then, the joke around the locker room was Joey and how he, great 93, 94, because 94 was looked upon as the year when they weren't, they all went, they all enjoyed themselves way too much and the year was a write off, basically. Yeah. So 95 yeah. was get back to work, guys. And, yeah. um, yeah, and Joe always had that. Um, and football was a different game then. It was, mm. it was a lot of guys still worked, so the weekend was a time to really unwind, and Joe made the most of that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go on to number 15. Uh, this is probably one of, uh, what I would say, one of Dodoro's favourites, uh, which he even uh, said on a recent podcast. This is going to be the controversial person because... One of us didn't have him in the top 20. Now, would that person least like to admit to that decision? Well, there's a chance he could be talking about me here. D- did you want me to go with my decision? or the- Look, I, I'll start with you first. So at least, at least tell me where, where your thinking was with this, because I had him clearly in top 15. Right. Well, I had him, um, I had him in the same sort of range as um, Welsh in the... 21, 22, mark, very unlikely to miss out. Um, he had a fantastic start. His first nine games when he came off as a rookie, he uh, replaced somebody on a long-term injury. Just can't remember who it was, but he came in and uh, and he was a revelation. Joe Mercedi. Joe Mercedi. Oh, I said, okay, right, yeah. And uh, and then Joey came off the wrong-term uh, list after nine games, and he had to go back to the reserves. He wasn't allowed to play under the rules in those days, and it was quite a big disappointment. Um, among all the fans at the time because he was uh, uh, becoming a really loved and appreciated player. Um, from then on, I thought that was actually the, the highest point of his career. He, uh, he became a, he was predominantly a tagger. Later in his career, he was a, um, used a bit more of as a, an offensive midfielder as well. Um, but I thought he was one of these, the old Jack Dyer, good average footballers. He, uh, he was competent at most things. Um, but never really hit the highs. Um, the player I had in front of him was Jason Winderlich. I had a look at his uh, figures and he had four particularly good years later in the decade where I thought he was a uh, very instrumental player in the, his chasing and his, uh, his kicking and his marking and his gut running. And so I just had him uh, higher than that. That's, uh, um, and just to, just just to note, Winderlich actually didn't make the top twenty. Yes, I know. No, nobody else even had him there. But and again, <laughs> I had I had Winderlich at uh, nineteen or twenty, and um, yeah, and Pepper for me just missed out. But could have easily put him there. He had a very long, distinguished career. Don't um, back out of it now, Neil. Don't back out of it now. <laughs> stick to your stick to your guns. <laughs> well, I did to a degree. Anyway, go with you, Rowan. Tell me, Rowan, wrong. Uh, you're wrong. Uh, no, <laughs> you, look, know, I, you are wrong. You are I, wrong. I think I just think he was a much better player than that. I, I think um, 
Yeah, I mean, look, it was very accurate what you said about his 2001. And the irony of it was that when he had to go back on the long-term injury list, they really missed him. You yeah, know? Like, they did. Um, I've often wondered about that, you know, during that sort of gradual loss of form over the back end of 2001 or post the Essendon-North Melbourne comeback game. Um, how's that for a last hurrah from a great side, by the way? It always really pisses me off that. I say, I always think if we had a loss that game but kept being a force, I gladly would have taken it, you know? Um, yeah. But they really did miss him after he had to go back to the twos. The thing I'd say about Pev is that, you know, he was a great run-with player initially, but the more games he got under his belt, the more he became capable of winning his own ball. Mm. And by the end of his career, he was a, a bona fide, you know, reasonably high possession getting midfielder who could do a bit of damage. Certainly nothing classic looking about mm. him, but he, he was efficient enough. You know, I think his kicking was probably a bit underrated. His endurance was really good. Fantastic powers of concentration. And here's what the clincher for me in terms of where he ranks in this. So he's played eight seasons in the 11 in question. So 2001 to 2008. But of those eight seasons, he finished in the top 10 in the best and fairest five times. Now, only six players had more top 10 finishes in the BNF over that decade than he did. So that, for me, means that he's almost got to be in there by virtue of that alone. Um, almost got to be. Uh, well, even for me, he has to be there. Yeah. Um, well, he was, don't, don't forget you're wrong, Neil. You are wrong. So don't, don't forget uh, he's, he's 11th in terms of numbers of games played, 144. So I had him, uh, I had him at number 12. I, I think he was yeah. a really, over the course of the 11 years we're talking about, he was a really significant part of it. Yep. Uh, I I forgot to actually just mention my thoughts. Now I, I probably would just agree with with you, Rowan. I uh, he was a very very good tagger, but he did learn how to be more offensive as the years went on, and his possession rate started to go up. And I thought he became quite a prominent uh, good player. To be honest, I had him at number thirteen, Grant. Um, my in and under in and under uh, midfielders like that for me are. Um, really hard-nosed guys like that who are willing to be in and under midfielders are uh, worth their weight in gold, in my opinion. Um, he could run with. He was uh, a hard-nosed bloke around the um, around the packs. And again, to bit to your point, Rowan, later in his career, he actually, I assume he got more confidence in himself and he actually turned into a, a pretty decent offensive threat and an honest-to-goodness um, AFL midfielder. So... Um, I had him at number 13. I, I ranked um, Preville significantly. Again, that, that sort of mix of hard nose, the ability to run with and do a, do a job on an opposition player as well. And then later in his career and halfway through his career too, um, he was quite a decent midfielder. So um, um, great work by Pev. What do you reckon, Scotty? Yeah, I'd have, I'd have had him higher. Great teammate. Um, summed it up well. Tagged early. We missed his run late in 2001. We were banged up and we... And some injuries to midfielders. He would have been really important for us and helped us. And then you're right, he became a midfielder that could win plenty of the ball. And I think Rowan, with his consistency over the course of the decade, uh, yeah, I reckon uh, that bit higher it could have been for Pev, but uh, well and truly should be entrenched in there. Hey, Scotty, just what, uh, this is a bit of a uh, diversion, but um, I know I've talked to you a bit about your 2001 grand final performance and the head bandage and all that stuff, but. You played a great game in that game. Where does that performance rank in your best performances, do you think? 
given the importance of the occasion, whatever? Yeah, well, not as perhaps not as high because it's not a game I look back fondly on. Yeah. So I don't actually think of it from that point of view, really. But look, um, I kicked poorly the year before in the grand final, so it was uh, it was nice to play well. But I'd much prefer the two thousand outcome with a, an off day of kicking and a win. Yeah, you got it. The, you got it the wrong way round, didn't you? You need those yep. two performances reversed. I know. Oh, anyway, by the bye, yeah. let's go. Indeed. All right, we'll go on to number fourteen. Uh, a really one of my probably for Essendon fans, one of their uh, probably favourite players. Uh, very blessed with talent. <laughs> no, no, we're talking it's, about it's like we're talking about Adam Ramanaskis. Uh, when he came onto the scene, I thought this kid was going to be unbelievable. Uh, look, there's obviously lots of things that had happened, and <clears throat> and there's a reason why we wear the, the little yellow ring around the end of the jumper, uh, and and thank goodness that turned into uh, a positive. And he's alive and well, and and doing and uh, a player manager. Um, I still believe Scotty is that right? Is he still playing? He is indeed. Yep. 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 So he's competition. Yep. So um... <laughs> move on. Don't give him a plug. <laughs> <laughs> so um, second best player manager out there. So um, yeah, two thousand Premiership play. Played international rules. Sixty three goals. One hundred thirty two games. Um, Still, I remember a mark he took against North Melbourne at the MCG where he held off the player by, with one hand mm-hmm. and then scooped the ball down from up high on the other hand. And it was just one of the most gifted marks I'd seen. I just thought, this kid is going to be unbelievable and still a very, very special talent. I thought I could have got more out of his career um, and, and whether that's just uh, obviously well, health scares or anything like yeah. that, but... But yeah. and that's that's more the reality of the situation with his health scare. But boy, you would go to the football to watch this guy play, and and special player, special person, special talent, Rowan. Uh, yeah, spot on. I I loved him, um, and yeah, obviously really unfortunate that you know shocking, uh, um, you know health battle that fortunately you know didn't turn out as bad as it might have been. Uh, my memory is he, he started to get a few sort of soft tissue injuries before the major health scare, but no doubt um, a pivotal player in, in those golden years of 2000, 2001, 2002. Um, I remember I, I lobbied incredibly hard for him as rising star winner in 2000. He was second behind Paul Hazelby in the finish. And my argument was, well, this, this, this guy's doing it. In, a, in the best side in the comp and the other guy's doing it for the worst side in the comp. No disrespect to Hazelby, but Rammer's 2000 season was just sensational. And he was, yeah. I thought he played that classic wing role. And as you observed earlier, Scotty, you know, in those days you could still play as a, a bona fide wingman, whereas now he probably wouldn't be able to play that role. Um, I always thought his basketball background was notable yeah. in the way he played. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that dragging the mark in one-handed and stuff. You could see that his handling of the basketball uh, and the way he moved um, on the footy field was very influenced by that basketball upbringing. So that was always very noticeable. He had a great leap, um, good kick, good footy brain. 
Um, the other thing about 2000 is, uh, and Scott Camparelli did this back in, in 1995, you know how good that Carlton side was, they only lost two games a year. He came into that side and I think he won the Rising Star and, and just had an outstanding season. That was very like Rammers 2000. He, he played two games a year before, so he was still eligible for the Rising Star. But beautiful player to watch. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, he, he, so he's played over the course of the 2000s. He's played, what, um, six, seven, eight seasons, one top three finish and two top ten finishes and uh, managed to come back for two seasons after overcoming you know, what could have been a, a life-ending, let alone career-ending major health scare. So credit to him. And What um, year was the top three finish? I reckon 02. And so he yeah, got I didn't write down, three, sorry. He got the top three in 02, and then he plays the first two or three games of 03, and he's close to our best player. Yeah. And then he's got the health scare. So yeah. if he had a play... Look, he was going to be a gun. Mm-hmm. So his well, best years... He, and he then, already was a gun. Yeah, yeah, he was. That's right. Yeah. So, And then after that, he had a knee reco. He had the cancer scares that, that compromised what he was able to do training-wise yeah. yeah. um, because of the operations associated with that. So disappointing from a football point of view, but fantastic that his health is what it is now. Spot, uh, spot on about 2002. So Mark Johnson won it in 2002. Jason Johnson was second and Rammer was third. And you were 10th, Scotty. So well done to you as well. <laughs> Thank you, Roland. That's what Yeah, he um, was it. A... Oh, go on. No, go on. I'll finish now. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, as you said, he is just a great player to watch too. And one of the absolute tragedies because he's... Um, he also is one of these guys who's just saying before, who seems like one of the really nice guys in football. And, uh, you know. I can get the shits, can't he, Scotty? <laughs> <laughs> he can. He started off, he, yeah, he was just, yeah, he, had a, he had a bit to say early on. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah, you yeah. know, the first intra club, a couple of the old boys sought him out, and then he was fine after that. Well, just quickly, no, remember. The, it was a great documentary, The Draft, and it followed him yep. and Brendan Favola and Desi Hevland. Um, yep. And he was great value in that. And I, I've never forgotten the scene. He's watching The Draft on the TV, and it's the old thing with the rabbit ears and stuff, and the TV stuffed up, and he couldn't see it. And he's absolutely spat the dummy something shocking. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was when his name was called out? Yeah. All right. <laughs> it reminds me of a, a story actually a few years ago in the... Uh, in 2016, when the um, we were playing Melbourne at the MCG, I was actually uh, uh, fly. I flown back from Lancaster, and I was in the airport, and I was I was madly following because I thought we had a chance, and um, we were pretty close as I boarded the plane. And when I got off the plane, I, I tried to get reception, and I think we were just about to hit the front, and with about um, oh, 90 seconds to go, walking through the airport, I lost reception on the phone. And uh, <laughs> let's just see what happens there. I'm no, digressing dropped. a little bit there. Sorry. Nice. Yeah. A few F-bombs dropped, I would imagine. Hey, yeah, um, yeah. look, Rammer for me, um, the one real good memory I had for Rammer was that he never looked like he made an, in, uh, an indent in the ground when he ran. He was, I think it was, he, he seemed very light and very, very quick across the ground. Like he, 
and again, that basketball um, background was great. It was clearly evident for him. But yeah, he just looked like he was running right on top of the ground. Um, left footers are always, well, not always, but um, clearly with the, uh, the company that we have. But left footers are always freaky talented anyway in most <laughs> things they do when they get to elite sport. Thank um, you, Brad. Yeah, that, right, I, I, I'm a left footer. I'm a left footer. <laughs> Does that apply to journalism? Um, <laughs> Oh, come on, Scotty. That was a cue for you to talk about my no, left wing politics. Yeah. Rowan's definitely a lefty. Let's not raise politics. <laughs> <laughs> All right, get on with it. Yeah, and again, a lot like everybody else. He was, uh, he's a great player. Um, and a bit to what you said, Scotty, in that um, I'm very glad that we still get to uh, um, to have Rama around yeah. um, with us at the moment because, like you said, it's a bit on the, on the, on the, the line of Dean Rioli. Could have been... He was a great player, but could have been elite. Um, so he actually, uh, he actually had a bit fan. of he actually had a bit of wanganine about him as far as yeah, that's what he, I mean. How he, bloke. Yeah, yeah, how he would get out like his recovery from if he went to ground, he was he got off he got off the ground so fast. Yeah, uh, he he had this kind of that rubbery kind of wanganine kind of uh, attribute, Scotty. Yeah, look, just. Uh... Fantastic player. Great to have him around uh, with his health. Uh, but from a, a footballing tragedy point of view, yeah, we missed his really good years, no doubt. But we did see enough to know of the talent that he possessed yeah. and what he was able to contribute. And played in a premiership team in his first real year of football, which was a huge ask and held down that wing position. Superbly and and a great side to hold it down in yeah. too. Yeah, so let's go to number 13. Uh, very uh, popular name again with fans. Uh, I always thought this guy uh, could have been Mark Harvey's son. Uh, Dean Solomon at uh, number 13. <laughs> Blessed with one thing is and just being angry to get the footy <laughs> and, and to beat his opponent. And super competitive player. Uh, 2000 Premiership player, 132 games between 2000-2006. Yeah, I had him probably around about this mark anyway, but uh, he he was a player that, you know, we do our podcast, Scotty, um, pretty much the last two or three years. So we do mainly after-match kind of reviews, more like a a radio talkback kind of, you know, how how Edison play. And I've talked about this guy a lot, that the current Essendon side, would be love a player like this right now where probably historically, probably the last two or three years, I felt like Essendon had a fairly uh, very um, flashy runny, but didn't have a grunt to them that I, and I always felt like these guys are a Solly or a Hardwick were, would be absolutely amazing in, in even in the current side, but I loved watching this guy play. He, he, he could swing forward if he needed to be too. He had, he had that kind of ability to be a bit of utility, but uh, yeah, just super competitive, super tough. Uh, how about you, Ron? Yeah, uh, all those things. Um, I remember when he came into the side, so like he debuted in 98, and I know that's not part of this criteria, but my sort of initial thoughts with him were, oh yeah, look, Sheeds is, this is Sheeds' latest version of Dean Wallace, you know, i.e. a tough player who'll do exactly what I want, perhaps sort of limited in terms of natural footy talent and um i you know i I quickly sort of realized that i'd seriously underestimated his ability and the thing about solly was that 
the more footy he played, you could just see his confidence grow and with that, his ability. And I, I think it was almost like, again, I'd be interested in Scotty's take, but I, I sort of felt early on with him like he needed to almost convince himself he belonged in this company as far as pure talent goes. He knew he belonged there in terms of toughness, but did he deserve to be on the same field as these other guys in terms of AFL quality football talent? And I think he, he convinced himself of that. And then he just went from strength to strength. And when you consider that he's only debuted in 98, but by 2000, absolutely integral to the way that side played and a key measuring stick in terms of the toughness. And that's another thing about 2000. We talk about how talented that side was, but how tough was that yeah. side? Johnson's, oh, yeah, yeah. And, well, yeah. you know, Barnard, uh, yeah. Hardwick, uh, Wallace, Solomon. You know, Lucas. that was a... Uh, oh, Scotty, um, that was a side that was really built in the image of Kevin Sheedy's Richmond sides in which he played, i.e. it was very talented, but it was also the toughest side in the competition. Yeah. And Solly was a huge part of that. You mentioned the goal kicking. I, I was going to mention that myself because he's played 132 games in the 11 years. He's kicked 50 goals. So he's averaged uh, a goal every, what, two and a half games? That's pretty good for a, a routine defender. That he, isn't... Spent, he spent a fair bit of time rolling, I reckon, 04 through the midfield. And yeah, played you're right. Best yeah. year. Yeah. Played and, midfield and would rest up forward. And that's a good example, too, of the confidence thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, who would have thought when he first came into that side he'd be capable of playing in and, the midfield? And I think you're right on that. I think early on he did have a little bit of doubt, just confidence of do I belong in the challenge of you know playing league footy, but very quickly... Uh, it built through just performances week in, week out. He, he played early and then he had that body that allowed him to... He was always so competitive that when he felt comfortable at the level, he was able to become a very creative player and, and, and such an important part of our team and fabric of the club. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and still is. And look, just I'm not giving anything away here, but when James Hurd, um, you know, had those horrible issues um, by that I mean you know when, when there was yeah. genuine concerns for his well-being I know that one of the people that was absolutely you know sort of right next to him all the way was Dean Solomon um, and you know I exchanged a couple of message messages with him on Twitter about it and he was just so concerned for Hurdy's well-being so that's the sort of bloke he is and look he's very quietly gone about becoming a highly respected AFL assistant coach as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I'll throw it to you, Neil, but I just I do need to say one last thing. He is, of course, my partner, Abby, is from Broken Hill, as is Dean right. Solomon. Yeah. And she wants me to say that Dean Solomon is far more highly regarded in Broken Hill than Tex Walker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good thing, I would have thought. It's a pretty good player, Tex Walker, too. But I yes. think um, when people talk about Dean Solomon, I, I think they the first thought is of his toughness and he was a tough player, but uh, he was also a lot more than that. He was a very skilled player, but also very, very consistent. You look at his numbers over the years and he was one of these players, again, you knew what you were going to get, hardly ever put in a bad game, wasn't beaten too often. And uh, you're right, Rowan, exactly the the 2000 side, uh, he was perfect fit in that in the back line. The, 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 tough, skilled player was what Sheedy just loved. And, um, yeah, really good player and for the side. And um, it's the sort of player that they'd really like to have even now, I think, in the time. Uh, that's one yeah. thing they don't have enough of. 
uh, particularly in the back line. They've got good, talented players. Your your Sards and your um, uh, McKennas and the like are, are great players, but they don't really put the fear of life into the uh, opposition, which <laughs> players like Solomon did. Yeah. And, of course, Wallace, who could do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Over to you, Grant. I, uh, I always had this... Uh... This thought running through my head is that if you, if I stood at centre half back at the G, and kicked a ball to sort of, I don't know, towards a forward pocket, and I had Glenn Archer and Dean Solomon standing to my left and right, and I kicked the ball inside fifty and asked them to go and get the ball, who'd get it first? I reckon I, I loved Solly's attack on the football, um, and I think to what you said, Scotty, I'd, I'd you'd probably put your money on Arch in that particular situation. But um, I loved his creativity with it. He's got one of those, he was one of those defenders that um, weren't just crashing packs and smashing the ball and, and killing it to the boundary line. He did that when he had to, but when he got possession of the ball, there was always a level head on his shoulders. You could always see he didn't panic. He tried to assess for those couple of seconds and make a good decision. And uh, a lot of the decisions that he made, I remember seeing were, were good. They were... They were dangerous kicks. They were to a player that was leading to a dangerous area. But he always uh, he had the the calmness in the back line once he'd done that act of aggression to stop and try and, and find his way out of the back line, which I loved about him. Scotty. Scotty. Oh, spot on. Uh, loved playing with Solly. Lived with Solly for a while. Quite a character. Quite good. Um, after dark, uh, well done, Solly. I felt um, I felt like there was about ten stories just in that line. Yeah, there are, but we can't. We don't. We don't talk about that. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, fantastic, tough. And look, the point. I'm not sure when you think about those players across teams whether there's that many in the competition, which lends itself to the question: Can that type of player? play AFL, which is not to Solly would play AFL in this day, but perhaps the way that the game's played, he would just play it differently because you're right, yeah. the Essendon back line was a tough, tough back line, mm. yet those players don't see... Well, they just can't express themselves like they did back then, <laughs> is it? Yeah, yeah. A different game. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Um, the one... player is protected and it's the image of the game. I understand all of that, but the perfect player for a, a any team around that time in football, the balance of the toughness and then also the ability to win the football and get the football. But one more point too, we talked about Essendon's too hasty decline after 2000, but, and we talk about the salary cap stuff, but it just struck me then when I was looking at the career span here. So you got 98 to 2001 and then 2003 to 2006 he got uh, he did a, a knee an ACL in the pre-season of 2002. In fact, I sure. think I got a feeling I was at the game. Might have Victoria been against Collingwood. Yeah, it was I at was. Dick Park. So yeah, was, uh, it was a reserves practice game because it was the week before the season, and you know a couple of guys that had missed pre-season just top up with minutes to be yeah. ready to go for round one. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, he did his knee in that game. And a massive, a massive, yeah, massive loss. loss for yeah in 2002 for us. Yeah. Scotty, can I just ask, with Sheeds at that time, there's kind of a perception that Sheeds kind of favoured the, the, the Sullies, the, you know, the Hardwicks, the Peril. Well, yeah, he liked that style of play. Yeah, no is, that, is, that, is that kind and of... In a similar mould to himself. 
Would you ever talk about it? Cause Sully's your roommate. Would you ever feel like you and Sully would go, he loves you. And I'm the one that's kicking four or five goals. No, no, no. He, <laughs> I, he, well, the greatest, like he often laughed about James Hurd, how different they were as people, but yeah. there was no player that he loved more than Hurdy. So at the same time, he appreciated the, the great thing about Sheets was he appreciated the talents that all of the players brought to the table. You know, yep. you had your hard nuts and then you had your finishers and everything in between. The common denominator with Sheeds and all the players is that the, the more years you played under him, the more he wore you down. I can remember talking to Tim Watson, Bomber Thompson, all those guys about him. They just say, he, he just drains you. He is such an exhausting person to be around. So let's go on to number 12. We're almost there, guys. I promise. Uh, so number 12, uh, he was actually on the, the last, the, the 90s list. Um, and he's currently uh, an EFC board director. So Sean Wellman uh, at number 12, played 92 games. It was obviously the second half is kind of his career, but All-Australian all 2001, 2000 Premiership player, no doubt, a very, very talented player. Uh, probably uh, one of the first I can remember from that era that had that kind of almost modern day type of, of way of playing half back. So it wasn't just stopping your man. He was actually more known for me of being creative from half back and setting up plays and, and, and to move the ball forward. So he was more of an architect as much as a defender. So that's how I kind of saw Sean Wellman, um, very very gifted player, and um, great to see him on the um, on the current EFC board. Rowan. Yeah, no, very well said. We talked about last week how he became almost a de facto wingman in that 2000 mm -hmm. Premiership side. Was able to mm. zone off and uh, allow other players to drop back, and he would escape out to the wing. So you had you know you had Carousel making space, you had Rammer the sort of traditional wingman, and then you had Welly, almost a de facto wingman. You know, it was a pretty... You can understand why Eston won so much of the ball off half-back and, and did, you know, rather than sort of win the clearances as such. But, yeah, um, you know, a really smart player, didn't make mistakes, you know, made good decisions. We talked about that last week. I think an important thing to note, though, I, I have gone big on stats this week, but I think, I think Bess and Ferris are a pretty good guy. Now, this is a guy who finished in 2004. So he's only played five seasons in the 2000s. And yet, he's had a top 10 BNF finish in four of those five seasons. So he's played a really high standard of footy for 80% mm. of time he played in that decade. And that, plus a key role in defence in the 2000 Premiership side, means... He has to be in there. Um, I had him at number 13, so only just below where you've got him. Similar, similar to me. Yeah, I, I, actually, I actually rated him even higher than I had him as number nine inside the top 10. Um, mainly because his four years in the first four years of the decade, 2001, two and three, I thought were incredibly high quality. He uh, got the All-Australian in 2001 and probably should have got it in 2000. Often the players that the All Australians they seem to lag a year. They they uh, they give it to the second year, which is also good. But he was I think he was just as good in two thousand. And we talk about all those hard nuts in the back line, but he was um, one of the real creative ones that could nullify opponent plus run off and and create forward moves as well. He was the real balance I thought to the, that 
brought all the back line together. As you said, he was almost a de facto wingman. Um, and that was part of the creativity that he had and brought to the team. And I thought he was a, a fantastic and, and often, particularly by often supporters, really underestimated um, the, the skill that, that he had and that he brought to the side. So I, I rated him really quite highly at number nine. Yeah, well, Welly for me uh, just really started that um, the benefits of running off halfback for me. Um, mm. The you can see it today when Connor and Sadi and, and that sort of stuff they started halfback and end up halfway down a wing and and really cut open the middle of the ground for us. And Welly probably didn't run all the way down to half forward, but he'd, he'd run those half a dozen to ten steps, get clear of his man, and, and have that little bit of extra time to make the good pass. Um, good size. Smart guy um, in the, in the back line. Um, okay, um, and <laughs> who, who was that? Um, Did you hear that? Yeah, was that you? No, no. That I, I fairly for everyone watching this. Uh, good luck with kids. Okay, my 18-year-old son, who is doing his VCE and has been learning remotely, <laughs> that is him going absolutely crazy eight bonkers over a game of something he's playing online <laughs> on PS4. And that's what it's like here every bloody night. And as soon as we finish this, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to freaking kill him. Not him, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, look, um, well, well, he's great. Um, love, love the runoff halfback and... Um, was probably in one of my top five favourite players as well. So hey, can you can you guys just hang on two secs? I'm just ringing him. Yeah, I mean, no. What are you doing up there? Is, it, is this your son? Or David, you I'm doing an Essendon podcast, which is being recorded now and will be distributed <laughs> online. And the entire five man panel can hear you doing your nut on your bloody PS4. So knock it off, will you? Okay. <laughs> nice. Did he say uh, yes? That was David Connolly apologising to all listeners of this podcast. <laughs> Scotty, go where, for it. Where did everyone else have um, uh, have him, by the way? Because I had him at nine, so he must have drifted a bit if he was number 12. 12. 12. For me? I had him at about 15. Yeah, okay. okay. I, Neil, I like your thought. If you look at the years in the 2000s that we won a final, he played extremely well and had top 10 finishes in each of those years. Yep. Fantastic player. Probably started his career more as playing on the big boys in a bit more of a lockdown role and did it exceptionally well. I think he was All-Australian in 98. So then 2000, he's evolved as a super runoff halfback because he could read the ball so well. So he could help get back and help out if he was playing wing as a seventh defender, which is done so often now, and really launch a lot of attacks. Super player. And Scotty, yep. as, as you well know, isn't that the greatest ever trade in the history of the AFL? The, the ultimate win-win-win yeah. trade. Jarman to Adelaide, two flags. Salmon to Hawthorne, team of the century. Hawthorne. Wellman yeah. and Barnard to Essendon, 2000 yeah. Premiership players. Yeah. 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 Well, I love that thing. Everyone can win. You've just got to... And that's the challenge with trading. And you hear like, clubs are always trying to have the big win. Whereas, and Sydney are the classic example. They just identified players that could help them and then got the trade done, moved on, and had that player become a huge... Like Ted Richards was one of yeah. those. When you're talking about the yeah. drafts earlier, Scotty, I think it, the 2000 draft, whilst if we looked at it in totality, 
wasn't a great one. Ted was one player that came. We out actually of that. drafted Ted Richards, yeah, yeah, but got rid. We got it. We got it right. It's just he did his best work somewhere else. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. we were the we were the club that christened him Super Ted. It wasn't Sydney. Ted Ted Richards is famous for the uh, the VFL game where he got knocked out and his 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 mum jumped the fence to see how he was. Oh, so, really? Uh, I didn't hear that one. Yeah, I, I actually spoke to him about that once. And he goes, how did you know that? So, uh, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> nice. so let's go on to number 11. This is the final one for this show. Um, we've only gone the, the standard hour and 20. I just, just, no, no, no. <laughs> Scotty, we're up to a lazy hour and 47. Yeah, sorry. My, uh, oh. bre- my breakfast is just turning up again. <laughs> so excuse that. We did start a bit late, sorry. Um, to get set up, but uh, so was, this a, was this a show we we're going to make it an hour tops? Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is the one we're only yeah. doing. We're only doing half this year, this uh, this time because yeah. it was going to be quick. Yep. Yeah. So let's go. Number eleven is Adam McPhee. So look, very very good defender. Actually, actually, you could say very, very good swingman because he could definitely play forward as well. He kicked eighty three goals in just the decade alone. All Australian two thousand and four. Best and fairest. Uh, 2004, represented Australia twice in the international series that decade. Uh, super high competitor. Uh, it, it, do you know what? He's an interesting player for me. I, I, I kept on going back and forth with McPhee, and I, and I don't know why. Uh, my memories of him uh, when I was playing that I, I felt like there was still a better player uh, to come out, um, than, and it, he produced quite a lot. So we obviously I picked him quite high um, around the 10 or 11 mark. And this is where he's finished. But I actually still felt there was about another five, 10 percent left to come out of him. But uh, that's just me as a fan. I actually rated his talent really, really high. And when he came up from, from Fremantle, um, which he strangely ended up at Fremantle, but when he came over and I saw, saw him in the first year or so, I went, oh, we've got a serious play here. Um, so look, a, a genuine talent. Um, uh, I sort of wish he stayed at Essendon, but you can't have everything. Yeah. Um, but look, I'll go to you, Ron, but uh, he's obviously a, a very good talent and 2004 was an amazing year for him. Yeah, I, I think he gets a bit of a bad rap, to be honest. I, I think he sort of became a bit of a whipping boy for Essendon supporters and I, I sort of felt like it was a bit... It was a bit harsh. Certainly that 04 season, I mean, says enough, he won the best and fairest yeah, yeah. and was all Australian. That was an outstanding season. So I understand what you're saying, you know, like what about the other seasons? But here's where I think he gets a bad rap. So he's played seven seasons for Essendon out in this decade. And in four of them, he's had a top 10 best and fairest finish. And in one of those four, he's won the best and fairest. So he was a more consistent player for Essendon than I think people believe. And I think he was I think he was genuinely tough. You know, he sort of had a reputation of being a bit erratic as a player too, could make the odd bad decision. But I sort of felt like that was I thought I felt like that was exaggerated a bit. And I felt like he became a bit of a whipping boy for the whole side's fortunes because yep. he arrived just as we were on the decline. You know, and it was sort of like easy to put two and two together and get sixty-eight. And yep. I think if I think a few people did that. And can I just say, uh, it mentioned international rules there, um, 2004. I did go to Ireland on that trip. 
and uh, it was a bloody reaper, and he was one of the good socialisers on that trip, which is <laughs> probably why Australia got their ass kicked in both tests <laughs> at series. But um, I, I thought he was a pretty good player, and I reckon you know he served Essendon pretty well. Yeah, and I, I, had him, I sorry, I, I had him number ten. Yeah, I had him a little bit higher. I had him at number fourteen. Um, the lower. reason why the reason why I had him a little bit higher. Uh, look, you, meant lower. you mean lower? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I never know which way it's meant to go. A high number. Of <laughs> well, the the, the uh, low numbers are like the single digit ones, Neil, yeah. and the high <laughs> numbers. Are... Oh, right. Oh, thanks, sir. Thanks. I'll I'll keep that in mind. Um, the um, well, I had him at fourteen, which is four different to your ten, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, as you said, his two thousand and four was was just sensational. He was fantastic. He was marking everything. He was he was intercepting. He was um, seemed to be very intuitive with what he wanted to do. It seemed to me after that, while he still got reasonable numbers, he seemed to become a bit indecisive for some reason or other. I, I'm not sure what it was, but I'm not sure if, if the game plan wasn't working to how he would have wanted to or not, but that was probably the uh, the reason why I didn't rate him higher. He did tend to make somewhat clangers, as a lot of the team did in those days. Um, but yeah, I uh, I expected him to uh, go on from the 2000. He seemed to actually you know, come back a bit, which is why I didn't rate him quite as highly as that. But interesting, interesting to hear what um, Scott has to say about that when we get to that. So uh, over to you, Grant. What were your thoughts? Um, I rate him really highly because of his versatility. I think um, you could play him in most positions. I mean, probably not, maybe through the mid, but I mean, he was a tall guy, looked wildly fit. Um, he probably did real well um, on the track. Um, great fit, talented player, really good get from Frio. Um, I think I think we saw a lot of Adam McPhee. I think we saw some really good um, football from the guy. That's why I think I had him at like number nine or eleven or somewhere around there, um, because of the fact that he was he was really versatile, really tried hard. Um, and every time you see him, you saw him get the ball. Um, I always remember him making reasonably good decisions with it too. So um, really rate uh, Adam McPhee very highly. Scotty? Yeah, look, uh, fantastic player and really interesting. I mean, best and fairest, all Australian in a year where we did win a final. Um, counts for a lot. Uh, played a lot of footy over the decade and, you know, trained hard really went about setting the standard, got the best out of himself. I think at times, and you've spoken, you know, he could perhaps overthink it at times as a player. Yeah, yeah he's a bit of a thinker. Yeah. You know, I think that was what I was getting about. I and mean, then it came yeah. across as being a bit indecisive. Yeah, yeah, I think. and, and look, to look for a perfect option rather than... Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, just, you know, that absolute natural instinct, don't doubt yourself. And I just think we all have different areas that we get challenged in. And for him, that was just that at times, but fantastic contributor, a good guy um, who played some super footy for the Essendon Footy Club. Mm. I, I do remember one thing that really stuck in my mind. I think it was a game against Frio over in Western Australia. And in about the last uh, 30 seconds of the game, it was really frantic. And I remember this Marky went back into a pack and to take. It was just incredibly courageous. And that was another aspect of his game too is that he did, he wouldn't back out of a pack if he if it was his time to go he was a 
really and Scotty, how, how tall was he? Was he... Six, was he a, two, two and a half? Two? Yeah, okay. Yeah. What, yeah. Good size on him. Yeah. Good size. Well, let's... Uh, oh. we're, we're done for our part one of this series. Scotty, we can't thank you enough. You'll be happy to know that your name wasn't called yeah. out. <laughs> well, that's, so, that's, think, that, that's presuming he makes the top ten. That, well, you made the right. cut. <laughs> you made, made the cut. The cut. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I will say it's, it's a very interesting, like I've done the aggregated numbers and not many know what their final is. You've actually tied with someone in a, in a certain spot. So I've got, to, I've got to talk to the gang and say, how are we going to sort out this tie? Uh, so I won't say who you're tied with, but it is a very, very famous name. Um, at, at so, number 22. <laughs> so, number 22, Benny Doolan. No. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've got an interesting one. But I can't thank you enough, Scotty, uh, for joining the show. We'll, we'll be doing part two uh, most likely next week. Uh, Rowan, again, you've been a great supporter of these series. Can't thank you enough. And, and your son. For joining us, yes. <laughs> yeah, thanks for his contribution. Thank yes. you for his Call of Duty nightmare. Um, and uh, again, Neil Knackers uh, and Grant, thank you so much for joining us. This is the Lunchtime Catch Up Podcast, Part One, uh, and signing off. <laughs>